Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, summer's right around the corner. Real estate is, well, it's real estate up, down, all over the map. And we're going to talk about that this week. Uh, very, very important stuff going on in the marketplace. And by the way, my list of guests this week, uh, quite diverse. We've got Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. He's going to be joining us. You've heard Dave here over the years. He's, uh, he's always a great great person to have and talk about mortgages, where mortgages are going, what's influencing them. Uh, a little bit later, we've got Romana King joining us. Of course, Romana is a uh, an editor, a writer, a real estate professional. She's coming to us from BC and keeping us up to date on what's going on the West Coast and letting us know something's going on in the GTA market. And finally, later in the hour, I am going to have Timothy Brown from Roy Corporation. That's right. Uh, you might have heard Tim uh, over the years. He's uh, he's done some of the Ask the Expert programs here on News Talk 1010, and we're going to talk about businesses and how they relate to real estate and what's going on in that marketplace. But before we go down those roads, let's talk about some of the things that have hit the news this week. I was on with Jerry Agar this week. You can listen to Jerry, 9 till 12. And um, he and I were talking about how can Doug Ford fix the Toronto area housing? Wow, uh, that's a tall order. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish Mr. Ford luck on that one, but I don't think he's going to be able to fix it or even the provincial government in, in any short order. There's so much wrong with it in the first place. And, and I'm talking more about government. I'm talking about the municipalities. I'm talking about the red tape. There is so much going on. I mean, when you have, you know, 15 years of liberal government uh, just absolutely trashing the marketplace, you know, we've, we've got to take a look and say, okay, what is left to work with? And right now, you know, it's going to be a big uphill battle. And I'm going to wish him the best of luck to start off with. And I definitely would like to uh, invite uh, Mr. Ford to come on the show because I'd love to talk to him about getting an idea of what's going to go on in the real estate market and what, what he thinks he can do to help fix it. But let's start off with some of the suggestions because this week they were talking to a few of the people uh, – it was David Wilkes, from, he's CEO of Build Industry. Um, also, uh, Tim Hudak weighed in, uh, and uh, a few other professionals in the industry weighed in on a few of the questions that people are asking. And first and foremost is, what can he do to fix Toronto area housing? You know, we always focus about the GTA because this is probably the biggest hub in Canada for people to immigrate and where we are struggling right now with vacancy. There's a lot of other fixes that need to happen as well in the outer markets. Uh, one of them is creating, you know, more pockets, you know, take take the smaller areas, build out to to be a little bit bigger, you know, start working on some infrastructure in the smaller towns, giving them hospitals, you know, the ability to for water, sewer, things like that. I think that that would definitely take a, some of the pressure out of the GTA market. But if we're going to focus on GTA, first and foremost, we've got to look at the supply. Look, let's be honest. There isn't a whole lot of it, and it's not going to get any easier. You know, you can turn around and knock down, you know, a, a small building and, and put up a big building on top of the same footprint, but that's only going to go so far. And if we take a look at the number of people that are immigrating into the GTA area, we've got quite a number over the next few years. You know, you could get in excess of a million people in the next eight years, a million people to house, and right now we are basically running at a zero vacancy. This is going to make it really, really tough. And, and again, this, this is a lot bigger problem than most 
people will admit. And this is why so many people, we've got to talk about transit. We've got to talk about the outer markets in the, of the GTA market. We've got to push east, west, and north. And, you know, this is, this is the biggest thing. So boosting supply, the number one thing we should be trying to figure out and how we can do it. So does that mean we're going to repurpose more buildings, repurpose more land? Does that mean that in some of these sleepy neighborhoods, you're going to have to start looking at high rises. Well, that's the thing, folks. We're going to have to take a look at some infill because right now, based on pure square footage of land, we're pretty much maxed out. So the only way people are going to do it is go up or you're going to go way out. And right now, a lot of people are complaining about the drive. You know, one of the areas that we saw obviously take off, and it's the Hamilton-Burlington area, Again, more affordable than the GTA. But if we take a look at the big picture out there, you know, we are seeing them, you know, repurpose buildings. We're seeing brand new development. We're seeing some sprawl in the Burlington area. We're watching Oakville grow north of Dundas. We're taking a look out in Oshawa Pickering. We're seeing more and more development. So we know that the east and west suburbs are going to continue to grow. One thing I'd like them to do, obviously, is exercise caution, focus more on semi-detached townhomes, smaller detached. And one of the reasons why is that we need the move up area filled in. Right now, when we talk about condominiums, one bedrooms, bachelors, one plus ones, we're really talking about couples. We're talking about single individuals. We're talking about couples, maybe having babies. But when we start talking about the move up buyer, that's the person that sells the their first home to move to their second Nowhere for them to go in the GTA. Right now, it is really difficult for new townhomes or semi-detaches to be built. So this is going to be an ongoing issue. And how do we solve it? Well, this is keeping an eye on the urban sprawl and what are they going to build? Townhouses, 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 semi-detached. And yes, a lot of you are sitting there saying, but hang on, Todd. Should we not be allowed to get a detached house? Yes, but the footprint and the allowable square footage to create a detached home is basically the same space that you can put two townhomes on. And this is one of the things that builders and developers are now looking at. And that's why we're seeing more and more townhomes be built because we need that move up avenue to be filled. So one of the next things that they'd suggest is what's cut taxes. They say next to alcohol and tobacco, housing is probably the most taxed commodity in Ontario agreed the development charges right now for for most units sits over a hundred thousand dollars we need to be able to cut this because one of the reasons why is if we can reflect it in cutting it to the developers then it needs to be passed on to the consumer let's bring some of these prices down let's make it affordable it's not going directly into the pockets of the developer right now their taxes are massive for development and something that people are going to have to really really focus on if possible you know when we talk about uh, as i mentioned to you about the right size of housing this is one of those things that again building the right product is going to be more important two and three bedrooms condos if you're going to be building up and there are some builders that are going to be building up lots of them uh, we need to talk probably about bigger units and that is going to be important for the future. Um, you know, one of the things that people were concerned about, of course, is Greenbelt. And this, again, was a, kind of a flip-flop in, in campaign promises. But at the end of the day, you know, we obviously don't want to affect Greenbelt. But let's make sure whatever is assigned as Greenbelt truly is or it is sensical to use it as Greenbelt. Because there are areas, I think, that are being utilized as Greenbelt that perhaps 
do not or should not have that designation. So this is one of those things. I think they need to do a complete audit, understand it, and, and then go from there. If there is areas for infill, let's maximize it, but we obviously don't want to hurt our green space where possible. You know, one of the things about rent control, of course, is that it automatically squashed a bunch of developers for thinking about building uh, rental apartments. Why? Well, because the profitability for them absolutely dropped out. So if you put rent control into a property that is brand new and they you know, are experiencing millions of dollars of investment, you, you need to be able to set an, uh, a benchmark so that they are able to make profit. Nobody does it for free. They're not nonprofit. And I know for a lot of tenants, a lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we have our rights. We should be able to be able to afford it. Yes. But the real question is, is does everybody have to live in the GTA? And rents are cheaper in the outer markets. In fact, they're, they're cheaper if you go down six blocks from the center core, six blocks you know, f further east, west, or north, they can be cheaper. So this is one of the things. It's all about positions. Now, when we talk about developers, one of the things that I liked to see this week, and I was very happy to see it, was the fact that the Great Golf Group is forging ahead in building some serious buildings. They're going up as high as 92 stories uh, in one of their next developments. Uh, they're going to be spending over a billion dollars. This is part of the Mervish uh, uh, Gary um, condo project. And, you know, it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, about 1.5 million square feet of residence they're going to be putting up. It's going to be a big, big uh, number, of course. And right now, some of the builders are getting a little concerned about the marketplace. Is there going to be a market for this. So what will happen, and again, I'm just going to give everybody a warning, and they actually said this in their press release, if we do not get the correct number of pre-sales, then we will not build. So for people's knowledge, uh, what you have to do is you have to see how many units have to be sold out of the development before they know that they can secure financing. And this is what a lot of builders do. They have to come in with all the contracts set up, deposits in place before they will get and secure their financing for the build. And so what we've seen obviously are some projects that have been canceled over the last little while in the GTA. And you know, this is very, uh, this is very problematic. A lot of you were thinking that you're going to be able to turn around and get your brand new condo or brand new townhome and all of a sudden you get a letter in the mail saying, no, we're canceling it. You know, we didn't meet our sales or costs have gone up so much. And I think we're going to see a few more. There's a few more right now developers that are kind of on the fence. They're struggling a little. And I think before 2018 is out, if you're asking me to look at my crystal ball, we've got another 3,000 units minimum that are going to probably get terminated. You will get your deposits back, but unfortunately your thought of being able to buy that brand new condo is probably going to get squashed and you're going to have to start looking elsewhere. Um, quick note, uh, they're saying the not so hot spring, May housing stats, yep, they're down. And right now we're looking that uh, we're probably the May is the worst one that we've seen in the last 10 years. Folks, I don't want you to think that the sky is falling because it is not. But the problem is, is that when you have such a massive lead up as we did in 2016, 2017, if the engine starts to slow down, everything seems like it's drastic, it's falling off, and we're coming to the end of the world. We're not, but right now, we're going to bounce back to prices that are going to be sitting around 2015, early 2016 levels is where I think we're going to finally finish out. At least the volume will bring us back down there, and then we'll see where we go from there. Now, keep in mind, make sure that you uh, you 
take care of everything yourselves when it comes down, get your financing arranged. If you're going to be putting an offer in, remember conditional on financing, conditional on home inspection, very, very important when you are buying a resale home to live in. So, so important. Hey, listen, when I come back, I've got Dave Butler joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my next guest is uh, no stranger here to the show. Uh, I love having him on. Uh, is Mr. Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. Of course, you'll hear the commercials. And if you're looking for somebody that knows something about mortgages, Dave is your man. And uh, thanks for joining us today, Dave. Thanks, I appreciate it. You know, um, it's interesting because, you know, we've, you and I haven't spoken in quite a while, uh, a lot going on in the world of real estate, mortgages, you know, what do you think? Are you, are you seeing some, some serious changes in the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, it this obviously 2018 is going to end up being uh, a very interesting year, I believe, at the end. I mean, the first, I want to call it three and a half months, so till about mid-April, I mean, I think we all kind of saw the market was in a bit of a lull period. Uh, there was a lot of waiting and seeing, but I will say this. I've noticed activity has definitely picked up since about mid-April, and uh, uh, we, I mean, as far as our office goes, I mean, we're noticing we're, we're, we're kind of back to a pretty regular heavy flow for the, for, the summer, for the summer so far, and we'll see if it continues on, but definitely a Definitely a very noticeable spike uh, started about middle of April. So, Dave, I want to talk to you about the stress test because you and I talked at the beginning of the year. Yeah, we knew there was going to be a big effect to the market with this. Um, but, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot more that people are going to, you know, be lenders, you know, trying to get war, uh, brokers to, you know, get them, you know, some assistance here. Are you finding that people are looking for alternatives? Because, again, with the stress test added that extra 2% for qualification, it's made it a little bit tighter for some people trying to get qualified. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind uh, and from what we're seeing and all the data that's out there that there is now a shift. Uh, there are a lot more borrowers that I have noticed are willing to look at B lender options. Um, you know, obviously, as you say, the, the qualifying rate, you know, has the stress test story has come in. But a lot of people aren't even, you know, talking about the fact that because interest rates keep going up, the stress test, not only was it going to be normally 2% higher, but it's actually growing as the rates go up. So the, the qualifying rate, which is the stress test, just increased overall to 5.34 uh, just a couple weeks ago from across the board with all the banks. So we're, we're definitely seeing the same type of thing you are, which is there's a lot more borrowers willing to take B lender money. I think the B lenders are definitely a lot more active uh, because they're able to overlook a lot of stuff. I mean, the banks and your, you know, quote-unquote A lenders that are giving out the normal rates, they are really hampered in terms of working with just, you know, what I call regular income type stuff, where there's not much leeway, whatever's on paper on your income is your income, and that's what they're working with on that stress test. Whereas B lenders, they have a lot more leeway in terms of income. You could have someone who's self-employed, maybe they're only showing $30,000 in net income on their taxes, but a B lender will actually look at the gross income and they'll look at the client's bank statements for the last six months and they'll be able to use a much higher income. So to your point, yes, there has been a lot more B lending and even private lending that I've been seeing going on in the last couple of months. 
Now, I remember you and I spoke last year, Dave, and, um, you know, one of the things that we saw, you know, come April and May, crazy, crazy activity. Uh, this year, of course, May activities way down 7,500 units sold in the GTA market in comparison to over 10,000 in 2017. But, you know, if if you remember, you and I, you and I have been talking for years and back in 2016, the number was 12,000 thousand units selling in the month of May in, in 2016. So you've you've been real busy for the last couple summers. Do you see it kind of waning down a little? Um, it's definitely, I mean, I would say this, I kind of ache in last year to the to the peak, right? I mean, I look at that as, as probably the peak that we are going to see in terms of activity. And a lot of people try to compare this year to last year. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 like you, I try to look at, you know, how is this year looking compared to the last five years, if you look at it. And I believe our activity is picking up a little bit. And I think the real true test is going to be the rest of the summer. I mean, I keep telling my office this and a lot of my clients that, you know, the real test of the market is not right now. I think it's going to be July and August. As you know, those are the, re- the really heavy months. And so really, we really got to see how the rest of that goes. But uh, I would say activity is certainly down from these last couple peak years. But uh, I do believe it's, I, I feel like something's starting. I mean, in terms of activity, it has picked up a bit, but we just have to see how this rush goes. If it ends up being a real rush or it's just kind of a bit of a fake out. I mean, a lot, we will tell a lot in the next couple of months, I believe. You know, one of the things that I know that I'm sure you're, you're also busy with, because we can talk we can talk all, until we're blue in the face about sales, and we know sales are down, but this is a big year for people to refinance or renew their mortgages. In fact, you know, when the Bank of Canada released, they said that almost 40% of mortgages will renew in 2018. This has got to be a big part of, of what people have to be concerned about, about going back and, and, and either going to another lender and requalifying or just getting stuck with a renewal with a current lender. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're, we, we are getting calls from clients that are having renewals either this year or next year or even in the year after that, and they're worried that they may not be able to qualify. Um, so they're wanting to actually refinance now and lock themselves in for another five years. That's actually been a common thing, that we will get a call from a client that's maybe two years away from renewal, and they come to us and say, hey, you know what? I know I'm only two years away from renewal, but I have a feeling rates are going to keep going up. I would like to get myself locked into a new five-year fix now. And it's not a bad idea. I mean, if, we, if you and I are banking you know, or we are gambling and saying that we think rates are going to be up in the next couple of years, then it, does, it would make sense to go and lock in maybe a lower rate now and have it locked in for a longer period of time. Um, renewals is very interesting. I mean, we have noticed some smaller lenders, and I say smaller, quote-unquote, A lenders, who have very, very good rates, much better rates, believe it or not, than the banks, they are making their switch programs much more enticing and, and, and functionally able to use. So we've noticed some lenders like MCAP, uh, we've heard Equitable Bank is changing some of their policies to make it easier to get switches done. And I think this is in response to the fact that some people are really getting more rate conscious as these rates are increasing. And these smaller lenders do have better rates than the banks. That's how they exist. So for them to go and open up their switch programs to allow clients to leave a bank and go to them at a much better rate, that's, that's going to be, I believe, a big pillar going forward in the next couple of years in terms of renewals and uh, refinancing. So quick note, we've got the Bank of Canada um, meeting in July. Do you think we're going to see a rate increase? July 11th, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I'm on the fence right now. I mean, we did see uh, the U.S. Fed go up 
So that is sometimes an indicator of what we will be looking at. Um, you know, it's really tough to say. This, this, this government, uh, in terms of uh, how they are working with the interest rates and the banks, they're not giving much of a heads up as to what's coming down the pipe. And that's a lot different from years past. I mean, you know, we as brokers would sometimes get heads up from some of these top guys at banks letting us know, you know, likely what is going to happen. Uh, because there used to be a lot of communication between the government and the big banks in terms of if prime will change. Um, we have heard from the bank people that we deal with that there is no, not much communication anymore. And even some of the moves that are being made by the government are surprising to the banks. So it's really tough to predict what's going on, what will happen. Um, but, I mean, it's, is it plausible we get an increase in July? It's very possible. I mean, we, we saw one last year in July. So, you know, and we've noticed that sometimes they like to pick certain segments of the year to do these increases. So last year there was an increase in July, and there was also an increase in the August meeting as well. So um, tough to say. I, I, I certainly wouldn't want to bet either way at the moment, but uh, uh, I feel like it's something we have to definitely keep our eyes on, and I would not be shocked if they did raise by a quarter. Yeah, excellent. Well, listen, Dave, always a pleasure to have you on the show, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and find out what's going on for the rest of the year. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Todd. Have a good one. Great. Thanks so much. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And when we come back, we've got Romana King. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Always great to have Dave Butler on with us from Butler Mortgage. And uh, joining me now is Romana King. Of course, you know the name. Author, real estate expert, uh, also our go-to person in BC. And joining me from BC right now is Romana. Hi, Romana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. You and I haven't spoken for a little while, and we've had a lot unfold here in Ontario, of course, with our provincial election. We've got a new party that's coming into power. And uh, we, you and I kind of talked about it a little bit before, wondering what will change or what will happen. And uh, are you, are you, I hate to put you on the spot, but are you happy with the results? <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you guys are suffering right now in BC, and we're gonna, we got to talk about your market and what's going on because I know there's a lot yeah. going out in your neck of the woods so well I think I think in in some respects Ontario did dodge a bullet we've seen the NDP come in into on uh, BC and uh, some of the policies seem to be having dramatic impact on the BC real estate market which is a bit scary uh, not just for real estate people not just for agents or mortgage brokers or buyers or sellers um, it's a bit scary just for the GDP of the province. I think it's almost 17 or 18 percent of the, the provincial GDP in BC is uh, real estate oriented. So, and that's that's actually higher than oil and gas in in, in Alberta. So that puts it in perspective. Um, so whenever you tweak with something that has such a big impact on the overall you know economic growth of a province, it can hurt. So in a respect, Ontario dodged a bullet, um, but it doesn't mean that I feel all that secure. <laughs> You know, I, I think that the Conservatives, particularly forward-led Conservatives, have been sort of shoot-from-the-hip kind of people, and sometimes they bring in economic policy that doesn't have a lot of um, um, thought put behind it. And I, I, yes, I'm going to probably shoot myself in the foot by saying that, but uh, I, I am concerned. I think they're, they can be a bit impulsive when it comes to financial decisions. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because during the campaign, you know, uh, of course we knew that the Liberals were out. Nobody wanted to win back. I mean, she basically said, okay, I'm not getting reelected, you guys. You know, and, and it was interesting. They basically lost party status here in Ontario. But when when the NDP were surging, you know, one of the one of the commitments they actually came out with, they said, we want to emulate B.C., 
And we want to turn around and invoke some of the things that they've done, you know, the extra taxes, increase the, you know, the taxes on your foreign buyers, they want to increase taxes. And then they actually talked about the vacation properties for uh, just like yeah. what's happened now in BC for people out of province, and they want to increase taxes there. And I mean, all you could hear was tax, 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 and then, you know, may as well put a nail in the coffin and say, and for those people that are rich, you can afford to pay some more. And, you know, at, at, at what point, you know, is enough enough? I mean, you know, right now, let's talk about the BC market before we talk about the sure. Toronto market. I mean, you know, this is this is one of the biggest cool downs we've seen. And and even though, the you know, the Bank of Canada was talking a little bit earlier saying, oh, no, we're going to rebound. And, and you know, the last six months of the year are going to be fabulous. I don't see it. Yeah, you know, we're being hammered hard in Vancouver, and, and all of us in the industry that look at the numbers all the time, we're trying to ascertain, is this the regular summer slowdown just made worse because of all the different regulation changes, or are we really seeing the market bottom out a bit? And, um, I mean, we're looking at a monthly change of about 20% overall on all Vancouver housing and about 15% yearly change, and just on prices. So prices have dropped 15 to 16% in the, over the last year. That's big. It's really big. And it's it's big because I don't think that any of us are predicting it to turn around. We're actually saying it's, it's going to go a bit lower. Prices are going to go a bit lower. Right. Now, one of, one of the things that uh, you and I talk about, uh, obviously, you've got diverse markets there. Of course, we talk about the first-time homebuyer market. And I understand that the incentive program that was originally put out by the government to aid first-time buyers, um, you didn't have a lot of takers, that, that, that extra 5% down. And so are they, are they now shutting it down and they're not going to have the program anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think they had room for, I think it was either 20 or 40,000. I think maybe a thousand people applied for it. It just was such a bust. It was such a ridiculous campaign. And again, it was one of those, it was a liberal policy. And um, it was when the liberals were sort of trying to curry favor from voters because they were coming up to election. They introduced that sort of um, tax free or lo- interest free loan for the first five years, extra five percent, which had all these different qualification rules. That was the worst part. It was that just trying to figure out do you qualify and what do you qualify for and how does it really help? It just became too hard. It's just like, you know what, we'll just figure it out on our own. And then they also did introduce the foreign buyers tax and it just you know, you're tinkering with stuff. You're tinkering, tinkering, not really helping. And and the reality is is that we need to look at zoning here. We need to look at um pu- prompting or, or, you know, trying to entice developers to build, you know, stock that's better for transitional. So first-time buyers into growing families rather than first-time buyers have to move. Yeah, right, because they've got a studio or one bedroom. That middle zone, that's the one, you know, and, yeah. and we'll talk about Toronto in a second, but that middle zone is also what Vancouver is lacking because, you know, you're, when you had your buildup of your condos, uh, everybody was going after just the one bedroom, the bachelors, you know, they're squeaking affordability in, uh, huge square footage price. And now, as you mentioned, you know, you got so you're going to have your first-time home seller that becomes a second-time home buyer. And that's that middle ground where, you know, we normally in the real estate world always looked at townhomes, semi-detached, small detached as being the secondary home and again the builders just aren't building them and mm-hmm. you know a, a lot of times in your situation you know you just don't have the space to build them so is there a solution in your market yeah well i mean the solution is we have to entice i know that in toronto they they started to entice uh, developers to come into areas that were not originally considered uh, condo high-rise areas I, i'm thinking like bathurst and bloor way back in the day when it was not considered a, a prime place to be 
Uh, and they developer came in and said, listen, you know, we'll give you some incentives. You need to give back. There's a, a CAC, which is like a community amenity um, fee. Uh, but, you know, let's do this. And now it's like it's hopping. It's Witchwood is one of the best areas. I think the same has to apply in Vancouver. We need to entice developers to think further than two to four years. We need to think five to ten years. And developers don't normally think that way. They're in the business to make a profit. They're thinking two to four years, get the ground, build it. Four years out, they're getting their money, and they should be getting lots of money for that. Well, you know, and that's part of the red tape that part of the discussion here, obviously, in Toronto is right now the red tape by some builder standards getting longer and longer. And some of them are saying start to finish seven years. And yeah. and again, we are we are still getting into a real crunch as far as, you know, uh, vacancies. But, you know, our market, of course, uh, the economy, condominium market has stayed relatively decent. Numbers are down, but the, the prices are up. Uh, definitely the detached market in the GTA has has fallen off you know we can sit here and talk about about the you know the foreign buyer tax we can talk about the uh, stress test put in place but you know you and I've talked about the market normalizing now you know we, we thought it would go down naturally of course you got all this government intervention which kind of puts puts the foot on the throat of everybody and now you know it's going to push them probably a little bit further below than what they expected and where do you see the rebound in the market well, I mean, that's the interesting question. I kind of see it right now as we're an auctioneer's mentality. You've got people that are still really itchy to get in while interest rates are still low. Because if they can lock in now, they have maybe five, seven years, depending on what they lock in on, um, where it could be somewhat affordable if they can just get in. And then you've got five or seven years of, even if it's anemic appreciation, it's still equity in the house. And everyone knows the, the toughest part is getting in. Once you're in, it's a lot easier to maneuver. You've got some equity in the home, and you can you can figure out what to do. You can stay put. You can move up, move down, whatever the case. But getting in, and I think that until interest rates actually, mortgage rates actually go up significantly, we're still going to see people in there, but they just can't afford the single families. So that's why you've got so much pressure, on, as well as you know, none of supply. You've got so much pressure on townhomes and condos. That mortgage stress test is hurting people's affordability. It's eroded their ability to, to be able to buy something. So you've got a lot of pressure on the townhomes and condos. We're not going to see a big significant change until some of the investors that are in the market, and I know that Benjamin Tall of CIBC came out and said, you know, almost 50% of the condos purchased last year were investors. And we're not talking foreign buyers, we're talking domestic. So until they start to realize that their balance sheet is not exactly as they wanted it to be, which is cash flow positive, and they start selling or holding on and then eventually selling, we're not going to really see a rebound in terms of this market settling down and the prices settling down. Single family, settling down, absolutely. And as they come down, and as the townhouse and condo prices go up, you're going to see at some point it's going to make sense to go back into single family, which is going to take the demand away from townhomes and condos. So you're going to see a, a bit of, I mean, I consider it like a wave pool. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be hit by something, and then you're, okay, I think I'm going to, and then hit again, and eventually the waves are going to stop, and you're just going to have a balanced market. But I think it's going to take 12 or 18 months for it to sort of settle out. And in that time, so that's, that's just the market in that time, what's happening with, you know, the U.S. and Canada and these trade wars, are we going to hit a recession? Because the U.S. is going to have a huge impact on global economy, and it's going to impact Canadian economy. And we're now, we're getting people with very astute minds saying, listen, 12 months out, we're going to be in a recession. So what's that, what's that, what's that going to do for the overall economy? Well, we know people don't buy when there's a recession. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I guess we're, I guess you and I are going to sit on the sidelines as usual. We'll keep our eyes open and, uh, and we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, thanks, Romana. Always a pleasure to have you join us.
Thanks, Todd. Okay, thank you. That was Ramona King. And when we come back, we've got Timothy Brown. You might remember the name. He's going to be joining us, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my guest joining me in the studio right now is no stranger to the radio show here. You would have heard him a fair bit last year when he was doing some shows of his own. It's Mr. Timothy Brown, president of Roy Corporation. And Tim, welcome to the show. Great to be back, Todd. You know, always a pleasure to have you. Um, you know, uh, just just so everybody knows, you, you do work in a real estate transacting kind of way. Um, do you want to tell people what you do? Sure. Well, we're business brokers and we help people sell their business with dignity and profit when they're ready. I started 44 years ago with my dad. He stumbled into a dentist because he sold dental equipment who said, can you help me sell my practice? And he did that. And 44 years later, we're now in dentistry, optometry, veterinary, funeral homes, pharmacy, and the list goes on. And we're helping all kinds of business owners at all stages in their career, mostly the baby boomers to know what's it worth? How do I sell? Will the kids buy it from me, Tim? How do I talk to the competition? And let's get the business sold. We're ready to move on. I'm a business broker. That's what I do. Yeah. But, you know, you're more than that because a lot of times people don't understand both what the asset and the business itself is worth. So, you know, one of the things, of course, we do, and, and we've worked with a, a lot of some of your professionals, actually, uh, securing buildings for them and, and investment properties, but a lot of them don't know what their actual value is. So if they think of uh, selling it to family, friends, or another business, that's a really tough thing to come up with. So you do have that in your back pocket where you actually are business appraisers as well. Well, that's the science behind the business, and it's kind of the behind the scenes with the spreadsheets. We talk to the accountants. It's kind of the nerd side of my business, if you will, Todd, but we do have to know it, and there is an art and science to appraising a business and putting a realistic fair market value on it. Uh, you're a business owner, Todd. I am. Many of your listeners are, and we all think our businesses are great, but they only have a certain economic value, and they will only trade in the open marketplace for a certain value. Most people looked at the kids to buy the business, and many of us would give our kids a break. That's not market value. That's family value, and that's very different, and it's usually lower than what a third party would pay, uh, looking to management teams, direct competitors. So there's one approach to valuation, which is what will the market pay, but there's many ways to negotiate the sale of a business, and the price may be higher or lower, which is almost identical, if not to exactly what you do in real estate. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you can actually equate it to residential real estate where, you know, if a family puts the house up on the market for sale, you know, obviously the open market will determine the value. But sometimes the parents may say, listen, you know what, we're going to give the kids a leg up. If one of you want to buy the house, they give them a little better deal. They don't have the commissions involved. As you said, family value. Um, Tim, one of the reasons why I love having you on the show is because you also take a look at the economics of things. You know, you're, you're, you're very mindful of what's going on in the business world. A lot of stuff is happening right now obviously in Ontario and Canada and the world you know we've got uh, some crazy stuff going down in the US you know we've got trade issues here in Canada you know we've got a new a new provincial government coming in uh, you know do you see these changes having a huge adverse effect on businesses themselves and the future of selling I mean we talk about real estate and of course you know a lot of business owners own their buildings own their houses that they're in things like that so do you see a lot of changes coming up in the future well sure I do and there's two factors that affect everything, including real estate and business value, which is supply and demand. Uh, supply is dictated by the number of people willing to sell and to exit. And supply is about to skyrocket because of the baby boomer wave of baby boomer business owners who want to sell their business. Right. We're very different than our parents and our grandparents. We want to sell at younger ages. I'm a baby boomer. I turned 55 this year. And roughly boomers are 55 to 75 years of age, give or take a year. 
So the first thing that will impact the value of businesses is supply. And when supply skyrockets, if demand does not meet it, price will go down. That happens at every single trading economic indicator in the world, stock markets, investment properties, and businesses. Second side of it is the buy side. Where are the buyers coming from? Is there capital for them? Do they have access to financing? Is it affordable and realistic financing uh, so they can monetize the business and actually acquire it? And where are the buyers coming from? And here's where Canada stands different than just about every other nation. We have many, many people migrating to this country for various reasons. It's Canada. Why wouldn't they? And many of them are very well funded. So the supply side is about to go up, but the buy side, the demand should keep pace, if not increase over supply, which means the value of all you business owners out there, sorry, the value of all the businesses right. that you baby boomer business owners own should go up. Okay. So, you know, interesting point when you say foreign buyership uh, coming in to buy businesses. Uh, you know, last year, and the, the wisdom of the Ontario government implementing the foreign buyer tax in yep. properties, we know it had a slight effect. We know the stress test had a slight effect. When we talk about businesses, will they be putting a foreign buyer tax in on businesses? I don't think they'll do it directly on business investment because that's contrary to some of the trade rules that all the governments of the world are trying to work out. And there are some issues right now between Canada and the States, of course. But even if we look at the foreign buyer tax credit on residential real estate, I don't really think that had much impact. Maybe a couple of the expensive properties suffered a bit. That didn't impact the, the basic low end or the middle end of the market, in my opinion. Um, secondly, you know, anytime a government tries to dissuade good quality immigration with good credit, uh, with resources, to bring families, to bring educated people to a nation, if they're trying to deter that through the business investment channel, that is frowned upon in the global uh, economic circles that our government works within. So I really don't see it happening. There are enough taxes in Canada already to deter people from coming here. And for those that are in the highest bracket, we're paying 54% on personal income tax right now. That's enough deterrent already. If they start picking on business owners and business, business investment, I think they'll have a real problem on their hands. And that deters immigration. And Canada needs immigration. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just, um, just before you came on the show, I was talking with Ramana King and she's uh, out in BC, a real estate expert. And we're talking obviously about foreign buyership and what's happening in BC. Market is suffering. You know, we're seeing the numbers go down. We take a look that we've now got a new provincial government coming mm -hmm. in in Ontario. Do you think this is a positive or negative to the overall business uh, world and a little bit of real estate value? Well, generally speaking, the Conservatives have been a little more pro-business than some of the other parties. Uh, that remains to be seen how uh, the new provincial premier, Mr. Ford, takes that. But I would think that you know, business generates employment, business generates revenue, business generates tax. And we need to be very pro-business in this nation because we are being competed against fiercely by other nations with substantially lower labor rates. So I think the business owners of Ontario should expect a little break as opposed to some of the other taxes and impositions that were brought upon us with Bill 148, which hurt in particularly businesses that had low income employees at minimum wage. I think it's a pro-immigration. And with the supply increasing and the demand keeping pace, if not accelerating, for you business owners out there, I said it before, if you're a baby boomer business owner, I think the value of your business is secure or increasing, assuming business is good for you.
Right. So then if we translate to what you're saying, and, and one of the reasons why I want to bring this back around is that right now uh, in Ontario, real estate has dropped off in some marketplaces, more the GTA than any, anything else. You know, stress test had a, had a big uh, influence on it. Um, it's harder to qualify. In fact, you qualify for about 20% less than you did this time last year. Interest rates have been, you know, inching up a little. And of course, with the foreign buyer tax, more a mindset than anything else. And that's one of the things I think people have to be concerned about. But if we start seeing a little bit more proactiveness towards, um, you know, businesses, do you see maybe the rebound in the real estate market a little bit sooner, a little bit stronger, a little bit more, you know, I, I guess, durable? Because again, you know, we, we knew this was going to happen, but we just don't know when it's going to level off or start to come back up. Okay, so let's rub the crystal ball on the residential real estate market is what you're asking me to do. Yeah, pretty much, you know, because here's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah Normally, most people carry them in, in your line of work. You know, we, we, we do. You and I are in the business of trying to forecast what, taking all the variables into play, what can possibly happen in a marketplace. Right. Okay. So I'm a real estate investor. I'm a client of your firm, and I have other properties that are not managed by simple investors. So I have a pretty significant portfolio of real estate. It's spread around different areas, different parts of Ontario. Only Ontario is where I'm invested. So I look at some of the rural markets I'm in, some of the larger markets, uh, say the GTA. So what's my prediction for my portfolio? Let me answer it that way. Sure. Stable. Yep. I'm going to go with stable. I'd really rather say increasing, but I'm just not in a position to say that because I'm concerned about a little increase in interest rates. Uh, the stress testing is affecting some of the potential buyers for some of the properties I own, if it's their first or second property. Once you get into five or 10 properties or more, you, you start to leave the foreign buyer tax credit issues. You start to leave the stress test issues because now we're into commercial lending. We're acting like a company. Sure. So we're treated very differently right from the beginning. Regardless of government policy, we're treated like a regular business should be treated, which is does it cash flow? Do we have a down payment? And do we have good personal net worth or credit to support it? So back to your question, I think for my portfolio, and I think it transfers over to the real estate market at large, this is me rubbing my crystal ball, yep. stable, three to five years. Yeah, no, I, w I would agree with that point because in, in what we are looking at, and this is one of the things that I always try to encourage people, remember cash flowing, steady cash flowing real estate. It's, it's tough to get in the GTA. The outer markets are very strong. Yep. As you mentioned, a lot of your portfolio exists Absolutely. in those areas. And one of the things that we have to look at is that, Without landlords, then tenants will struggle. So the idea of investing in real estate and holding it long term, I think is going to definitely stay the course for the next five to 10 years, providing that the governments don't implement anything too serious and too crazy. Um, just in uh, quick closing notes, um, what is the best way if somebody is listening to you here on the show and they're, you know, they, they're thinking about knowing what their company is worth or they're considering perhaps selling in the near future, what's the best way for people to reach you? Uh, Timothy at RoyCorp.com, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y at R-O-I-C-O-R-P.com. RoyCorp.com is the domain name as well if they want to look us up. Um, you know, I'm available Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings, 8.30 to 11.30, tends to be my open intake time. I advise a business owner, um, show up with a spouse or a business partner or an accountant. Don't bring any staff. Don't invite people like me into your company. Uh, come and meet us. We have a beautiful office here in Mississauga, two offices, and let's just have a coffee. That's yeah. it. Have a coffee. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Anyways, Tim, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, remember, folks, if you're thinking of uh, anything to do with business, give Tim a call. Um, by the way, I want to uh, thank everybody. Uh, 
this week, of course. Uh, Dave Butler, Ramana King, Timothy Brown for joining me. Always a pleasure to have my guests. I want to thank Ian and Andre. They keep it simple for me every single week as usual. And I want to thank you for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to bring the show. Remember, I'll be back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.